This episode of Sideline Stories is brought to you by our good friends over at Stridle. Have you ever wanted to own your very own racehorse? We all have. That's why it's time to get out of the group chat and buy yourself the horse of your dreams on the Stridle Marketplace today. Head to stridle.com where you can sort through some of the best available horses for purchase and you could be an owner overnight. Head to stridle.com now and get shopping. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sideline Stories. We've got a very special guest on the show today. Campbell Brown, how are you, mate? Thanks for having me, boys. No, good to be here on, on the Goldie. It's good. Yes, it's very good. It's our first time up here at the Magic Million, so learning a lot, and it's very good so far. This is my old stomping ground back <laughs> in the day, so uh, I can I can teach you a few things off air. <laughs> oh, good. That's what we're here for. Um, so we get it, we started off um, obviously um, growing up. You born in Perth, am I right? And yep, born in in Perth. Uh, the old man obviously played a, a lot of footy over there, um, West Australian footy legend, and um, yeah, just started my my footy journey, barracking for the West Coast Eagles, and, and living in Perth before we moved to Melbourne when I was uh, nine years of age in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and then playing obviously junior footy and stuff, and then um, so how did that you? Obviously, getting to how, how when did you start knowing that this is going to become a professional thing for you? Oh, right from a young age, <clears throat> I used to um, I used to love going and watching South Fremantle play down there and um, Fremantle Oval and West Coast Eagles and um, growing up in a footy family. Uh, yep. you know, I, I probably thought early on that that was something that I wanted to aspire to. I, yep. I think. If you ask some of my old school teachers in year three and four, that when they'd, they'd say, the oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And someone would say, you know, a pilot, a firefighter. I always used to say, I want to play AFL footy. Yeah. Um, so it was probably a, a dream of mine from quite a young age. Yeah. Oh, but when it comes to the draft aspect, I know these days it's so technical. They're spruiking kids years out from when they come through the draft. What was it like when you were going through? Oh, I was very different to what it is today. Um, I, I mean, your stars were standouts, you know, like your Luke Hodges and your Chris Judds, Luke Balls, like they were, they were always going to get drafted um, from you know, 15, 16, 17. But um, probably f- for me, like I was a really good junior under 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s. Yeah. But then um, I was a late maturer, so I yeah. sort of didn't, didn't get the hair on the legs or under the <laughs> arms. I was, I was pretty small and those sort of things. And 14 to 17 mm-hmm. is when kids mature at different ages. Um, my footy went backwards, started to get a few issues in your knees and you, you know, the growing pains in, yeah. your, in your ankles and things like that. Um, and, you know, they're the, the important years that you need to play good footy if you want to be noticed by the recruiters. So, um, yeah, I had to work pretty hard on, on my game. I had a few deficiencies, like everyone does. Um, wasn't a great user or decision maker, um, probably was a little bit slow, um, could find the footy. I was a midfielder as a, as a junior, um, but didn't have that breakaway pace or anything like that. So probably just a bit, bit dour and not someone that, that stood out a lot. Um, if you're a recruiter watching a game, but, um, there were some aspects that Hawthorne liked and, um, there weren't too many other, other clubs that were overly keen on, on drafting me. So I'm pretty grateful that Hawthorne took a chance. So it was always, Hawks was always the game plan? Yeah, I, I grew up in, in Hawthorne when we moved over from Perth. I played for Hawthorne Citizens. Um, I knew a few guys that had been drafted to Hawthorne in the years leading up. Stephen Green, Tim Clark, Matthew Ball, some of those guys that I'd, yep. I'd sort of played against in the APS football. And um, 
the guy that I'd trained with for a couple of years, um, Bowden Babichek, to in, improve my speed, uh, was Hawthorne's strength and conditioning coach. So oh, I sort perfect. of had a little link there. Um, but when you nominate for the draft, uh, you can go anywhere. Yeah. Brisbane were probably the most keen outside of Hawthorne and sort of looking at sliding doors moments like if I get drafted to Brisbane in 2001, yeah. they yeah. just won their first flag. Yeah. They go on and win another two, mm. play in the 04 grand final. You're a young bloke trying to break into that side. Mm. No hope. Yeah. So um, – Plus, you've got to move into state and just, you know, all that sort of stuff. So Big change. getting drafted by Hawthorne, which was three Ks down the road from where I live with my parents, having some familiarity around. And they were a good side, but um, there were elements in that side that needed improvement. And, yeah. uh, and you know, I, I fitted the bill with some of that. Be able to slot in. Was there any go-home factor back then? Because we see it all the time now with all the kids oh. that want to... Move back to Melbourne or Adelaide, but was not as much. I'm sure there there might have been. It just might not have been as as well publicised. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of players just use that as a, as a bit of an excuse now to get to the club that they they originally wanted yeah. to go to. Yeah. Um, so interstate teams need to come up with different philosophies around that. I think the Brisbane Lions have done that the best, getting the getting the the country boys, but finding mates together yeah. that can both play and getting them there and yeah. you know, surrounding themselves with with uh, a few familiar faces because it can be quite daunting, I suppose, for, for a young kid leaving home and moving into state. But if you really want something, you're really passionate about something, you know, you do whatever it takes. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the thing that I can't quite fathom about players wanting to, to leave. Cause yeah. I never quite get it either. Cause like if you're playing, I'd give anything to play a game. Exactly. Well. Right. So, like, and so would they, when you ask them as a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old, yeah. they'd say, I'll yeah. do anything. I'd play for anyone. And then when they get drafted in a state, they only want they to change their Melbourne. mind. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's we'll, we'll forever be trying to work out exactly why. <laughs> but um, that's my take on it. No, fair enough. And how how different is it? Um, obviously, there's a lot of science for the for the footy players now. Like um, I know we've we've spoken to some, and there's so much that goes into it. Like everything's tracked. Was it the same back when you were playing? Or was it? It was probably just coming into that period where they starting to discover a lot of that stuff, but um, it's probably not as serious as it. Yeah, not as technical. Like, like I feel like 2001 was when I got drafted. The, the transition was, uh, they'd gone out of part-time footballers, you know, yeah. and, and we were professionals, but it wasn't at the extreme that it is today. Like yeah. We still had um, GPS, you know, trackers and things like that. Um, a bit later in my career, they'd put, um, things on your finger while you slept and try and monitor you know, okay. your, your REM cycles and all that. But that was towards the back end, whereas today, um, yeah, I think the players are under a fair bit more pressure. No, it's, Coaches it's, and fitness staff know, you know, what sessions. You've got to send your sessions into the club during yeah. your off-season. Yeah, that Strava's a thing. You know, like, like yeah. back in the day, like, you'd do the session. Well, I would do the session, but might not do it the day that I was told to do it. You might yeah. do it the next day or you might swap it around a little bit or, or something, whereas now you got a session, bang, yeah. has to be done, delivered, yeah. no hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that adds, you know, that adds a level of professionalism. Mm-hmm. But I still believe that um, you need to get a balance right between still enjoying yourself, your, yeah. your, your young guys and, and girls that are, you know, wanting to have a social life, wanting to yeah. to do experience things that not that your mates can do because they're out drinking all the time and partying yeah. but um i couldn't have been one that was just 
like I was really professional when I was at the club and trained and ate well and everything. But I always enjoyed a bit of a good time and you know yeah, have, a, have a beer and that's the way it should be, have a laugh. You see so many players these days crack under the pressure, not from the game but from the outside aspect because they're not getting that outlet. Yeah. yeah, but you need to know what makes you tick a little bit, and you do that with experience and age. And there's some guys that are really intense, and they 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 know within themselves that they that they can't go out and relax and switch off. Whereas other guys, you know, can do that. Guys mm. like Swanee, uh, yeah. you know, Hodgie in his first four or five years at the club, loved to have a drink, would drive back to Colac with his mates and all that sort of stuff. And you just work out, you can't do that yeah. to the extreme, but you can't, you know, be the other way and never drink. And yeah. Can't never, be the drill sergeant. You, you find the middle that you know you can still play your best footy, still deliver, still be professional, but hit your little sweet spot where you, you can be yourself and enjoy. Nice. 100%, 100%. And we moved through your career a little bit. As a 07, you were All-Australian. Yeah. That's it. That was probably your best year for you. No say. doubt. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah. What, was, what was that pre-season that got into it that really changed and had your best year? Is it just it just kind of strung together? You just got some confidence about you? Or is it yeah. anything in particular? No, there was probably a few things. Like um, uh, Andrew Russell was the, was the Hawthorne fitness um, guy at the time. And... Uh, it was his third season under Clarko. You know, yeah. Clarko got there in 05. We, we built, you know, as a group, 06, a, a stronger pre-season. 07, by then, you know, we, we had a really good understanding of of what elite training looked like because yeah. it, ta- it takes a little bit of time. Um, had a great pre-season. And then the other thing was Clarko had, had sort of identified my role in that side as being a key position defender. Yeah. Even though I'm only 5'10", uh, and small, I could play tallish on yeah. on guys, and um, I remember he uh, he just rang me out of the blue. Must have been about round three or four, um, and I just played my normal role for the first three weeks of the season on the medium tools. And he rang me leading up to the Essendon game, and um, Scotty Lucas was leading the Coleman Medal. Yeah, he'd had a huge start to the year, and um, he said to me, "Mate, we're going to play on Scotty Lucas at centre half back." Like, I go, shit, like, yeah. I'm giving away six inches and he's, <laughs> yeah. he's flying and he goes, no, don't worry about that, you know, just play the way you normally do, bring the ball to ground, you've got the leg speed to keep up with him on the lead and I played on him, played well, we won. The next week, we're playing Fremantle in Perth, he calls Pavlich. Yeah. yeah. Went okay, we lost that game, but I kept Pav, you know, relatively quiet. Um playing St Kilda the next week, going, surely not. Yeah. <laughs> Rings, rewalt. Yeah. Um, and it just it, it evolved from that. Like, yeah. I, I don't think going into that season I was going to play centre-half back, but um, he, it worked and kept working. And for whatever reason, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed playing on the bigger guys more because it was before the chopping of the arm rule. Yeah. yeah. So I could use my leg speed to keep up with them, vertical leap to bring it to ground, you, can, you know, punch him in the back of the head and chop their arms. <laughs> and your job was pretty much done. You know, yeah. once the ball hit the ground, they were sort of out of the contest. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we, we got on a bit of a roll. We started winning some games. And then, you know, you start to get some of that outside recognition. And, and I mean, I wasn't expecting to be All-Australian that year. Mm-hmm. Um, as Andrew McLeod on the halfback flank, there was uh, Egan. You remember Egan from the uh, Geelong Cats? 
he, oh he broke his foot, never ever played again. That's a name again. I haven't heard of in ages. So he was he was centre half back. Yeah. And I was thinking on the night, you know, I played the whole year centre half back. So when I wasn't named yeah. centre half back, I was like, oh, well, I, I wasn't selected. And they threw me on the, the half back flank next to <laughs> next to Andrew McLeod. Like, is is a he's one of the classiest footballers <laughs> yeah. of all time. Great decision maker, great user, like just silk. And then you got me who can't who, who can't hit a target. Got the goat on one side <laughs> and the dog on the other <laughs> the side. Dog on the other. It's quite extraordinary. The boys still laugh about that. That uh, never has it been more an out of place half back flanker. But uh, yeah, that was my best season by mile. Yeah, and then obviously moving into 08, the premiership year, that would have been pretty cool. Well, we, we, we got a bit of confidence about the group because we played finals for the first time in 07 collectively. And we, yeah. we, we won that famous final against Adelaide where Buddy kicked seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tasted finals footy and we'd been building for a few years. Going into 08, we knew we were a good side, maybe a top four side, but I don't think we realistically thought we would win the flag. You know, Geelong were were that much better than us. Um, and, yeah, we just we, we played good footy. We um, developed that full-ground press that Clarko came, Clarko's cluster, and we're a hard side to play against. You know, all the players knew what their role was, were pretty disciplined in that. Um, and we, we, we got into the, the first final against the Doggies. Buddy kicked eight goals in the qualifying final. We had the week off, played St Kilda in the prelim, won by... 10 or 11 goals, like, yeah. dominated. And next minute, we're, we're into a grand final against, you know, our our enemy, the, the Cats, who'd won the year before and only lost one game in 08. Yeah. yeah. But we always felt like we matched up pretty well against them, you know. Just we had some quick, agile forwards that caused them some trouble. Mark Williams, Cyril, Michael Osborne. You know, I'd go forward for one or two weeks a year against the Cats bit of leg speed, Buddy and Ruffy, obviously, and for whatever reason, we, we troubled the Cats defenders. Yeah. And we know, you know, the rest is history. They kicked very inaccurately and they should have been five goals up at half time, but kept missing and... Stewie Jew comes out. Stewie Jew comes out, yeah, has that huge seven or eight minutes where he kicks a couple and sets up a couple and we had little cameos. Like, I would say that some of our best players, and Bud didn't, do a lot. He kicked a couple of important goals. Ruff didn't do a lot. Um, Sammy Mitchell was quite quiet. We had a few good players down, but we had some really important roles from Xavier Ellis, like best game he's ever played. Yeah. Clinton Young leading the Norm Smith medal to half time and he hurts himself. Yeah. Cyril in his first year, Bob's up, kicks a couple. Um, Hodgie obviously wins the Norm Smith, but we had a real contribution across the board from a lot of our sort of role players that are really important in big finals. Yeah, well, I look back um, in preparation for this, just the team, I forgot just how stacked it was. It was. Just when you look back at it, like, you know, Cyril, Sewell, Ellis, yourself, Buddy, Roughhead, Hodge, Mitchell. Bateman. Bateman, Dew. It's like the who's who. And then, of course, Clarko, coach, he's gone on to be absolute just bloody guru of the game. Like, you look back at it and it, Makes a lot of sense looking back on it, but I guess in that moment when you guys were considered the underdogs, like we always thinking, no, we've we've got them here, or was it just a fight tooth and nail to the end? Did you ever think we've got them? Or uh, yeah, like like going into the game, like we probably had the arrogance of youth, 
you know, like we were young and brash and had nothing to lose because we were yeah. such massive underdogs. Um, I remember thinking in the second quarter, I'd gone from forward down back. Trent Crowe had broken his foot. He was out. He was, you know, really important for us. And they had like 17 inside 50s. And like it was a hot day and we were just under the pump. And I, I just remember thinking like the damn wall has to break. Like we, we're getting dominated yeah. around mm. the ground, everything. But they just kept missing. And it felt like we were down by a lot at halftime. Yeah. But Clinton Young kicked a massive goal from 60 and then Cam Mooney misses one from the top of the square. And literally, like, you're that caught up. You look up at the scoreboard and you feel like you're down by five goals and we're up by two or three points. Yeah. yeah. And psychologically, that was pretty important because we walked down in the rooms and we were all rooted because um, we've been chasing ass, you know. And then the talk turns to boys. How... how how bad have we been playing? But we're in front. Yeah. You know, like if we can actually get a few things going in this third quarter, like we can yeah. win it. And then the boys start believing in the first 15 minutes, real arm wrestle, no one really scored. And then you've spoken to Stewie Jugo, we go bang, 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 bang. Next minute we're 30 points up. Yeah, wow. You know, and, and then the panic starts setting in for the cats a little mm. bit. They start doing a few things that they would never usually do, panicking a bit, you know, rushing with their decision-making. And next minute, you know, we hold on. And um, so, yeah, that's probably the moment that, that I, you know, I thought we can win it at half time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And what was that What was that moment like when the final siren goes? It's yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, well, it's the pinnacle of yeah. sport. I yeah. didn't I didn't play in, in many premierships as a junior. You know, you've got those, those young guys that play in, you know, four or five winning premierships as – yeah. Under 12s, 14, TAC, whatever. I'd never really experienced it. And certainly the first six or seven years at Hawthorne were pretty lean. Yeah. You know, um, you dream of it as a kid, but you never really think that you're ever going yeah, to get to live it, live yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, and, and I just remember how, I mean, you're, you're pumped for yourself and your family and everything. But I just remember looking up and seeing Crawford. You know, 305 games, 17 years, carried that club for a long time. And, like, if there was one person that deserved to win a flag in their last ever game, certainly from a Hawthorne perspective, it was Shane Crawford. Yeah. And, like, you just, you just can't help but well up a little bit. Like, yeah. when he comes running in, you hug him and yeah. you can't believe, you know, you're gonna, he's going to finish up as, as winning that premiership. It was, um, it was a pretty special moment. And then... You, you celebrate and you have your good time and immediately leading to the next pre-season, you're the the one that's getting hunted, yeah. right? Yeah. And your expectation is you'll win it again. Yeah. And, I, like, I never got another opportunity to play in a grand final, let alone win another flag. So, yeah. you know, like, you don't take it for granted, but uh, they're bloody hard to win. Yeah. And um, it was a completely different side that went on to win 13, 14 and 15, like, there was probably 14 or 15 guys that had moved on. Mm -hmm. And Clark had rebuilt that side yep. with Stratton and Piopolo and Isaac Smith and, you know, the, the next group, Bruce, yeah, Suckling, Jaray, like the next group coming through. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was great. I'd, I'd love, I'd love another, you know, opportunity to have played mm. another grand final. But, um, 
that's not the case in professional sport. And what was the, I'm sure the parting would have been. It was good. good. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Uh, we went to Hong Kong on the oh, on the footy trip. Actually, went to the races, Sha Tin and um, Happy Valley, and um, geez, we had a good time. Yeah, yeah probably. Any good, any good stories that you can that you can probably share? Oh, a lot goes on in Lang Kwai Fong down there. <laughs> um, some people argue that our parting went for a little bit too long because we came <laughs> back and we we're a bit unfit first day of pre-season. That, that happens to a young group. No. Oh, well, good. Um, well, then moving, what was it like to go from Hawks coming off the back of a premiership and then still some pretty good years without making it back to the grand final to all of a sudden moving to the new franchise team where it was building from scratch? Was it? You know, did you find that rewarding to be able to be in that period of the club or did you find it frustrating because you're getting yeah, like beat every week? Sort of initially, thing? the overwhelming feeling was excitement because yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you are building a club from from nothing, mm-hmm. blank canvas. Um, and then as a senior guy, you know, like there was the, the expectation for our seven senior guys was way more than I had ever felt at Hawthorne. Being just a, a role player, you know, all my job was to get, get 10 touches a week, some spoils, some tackles, yep. you know, a bit of leadership. And I, I found sort of the, the expectation for the Gold Coast was you had to do way more than that. Yeah. And as a player, I wasn't capable of that. You yeah. know, I wasn't. That was never my role at, at Hawthorne to be a twenty-five touch halfback flanker that ran and carried and that. So, I was, I was a bit frustrated in that regard. And we were getting beaten a lot, which was to be expected. But probably the lack of competitiveness, you know, um, was irritating. I got a bit grumpy and started building blokes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I missed, you I missed a few weeks of. Uh, well, our, our second game, so we had a bye in round one. We played Carlton in, in round two, our first game. We lost by 100 points. Yeah. Then we go down to Etihad Stadium and play the Doggies in round three, our second game. And for whatever reason, I was just angry. <laughs> and uh, I got, I got I elbowed Callum Ward, got a couple for that. Then I charged Barry Hall, got a couple for that. Then I think I knocked out... Um, Jared Grant got reported <laughs> for that. I got off that, uh, luckily, but I, I ended up getting four weeks and a lot of footy pundits thought I should have got a lot more, maybe six. Uh, These days you'd get Oh, you'd be, you'd be <laughs> finished. Oh, we, were, we were looking back on the old classic Fox footies and even from like 2015 games, some of the hits they put yeah. on, you'd be getting six weeks for it now. Yeah. And they, the commentators are saying, oh, they might be in a bit of trouble. They might cop a fine this week. Yeah, exactly. Fine at most. Like, I know. It's, and it's just it's changed and it's it's changed, you know, for the better. I think um, concussions are huge. Obviously, you got we've got to respect, you know, what happens above the head and um, some of the stories you, you've heard from past players that have got multiple concussions is is you know, devastating. Yeah. So, a lot of people sort of say, oh, that they were the good old days and everything. They yeah. they were in terms of the physicality, but the game's much safer now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a good place to be. Yeah. Even if some of those big hits are, you know, over analysed and I thought Braden Maynard did not a thing wrong. Yeah. Um in that regard and he nearly missed the grand final because of it, which would have been devastating. Now that the rules are clear, you know, yeah. like if you jump off the ground and hit someone high and you're in trouble. So the onus just goes back on the player a bit more. But um yeah, it's it's different. I'm glad I'm not playing now because I ended up, I got 29 weeks when I played. <laughs> I reckon now, 
I'd get 40 plus uh, and would never have been able to get out there on the park. So it would have been a liability. Mate, so Toby Green gets suspended a lot, mate. You were the he original does. one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, there were a few before me, but yeah, guys like Steve Baker and, uh, you know, and myself and some of those guys, um, you just managed to find trouble, didn't we? Tribunal By came to second home. <laughs> no, I think my favourite one was we were watching last night. I think we, your international um, international game against oh, the yeah. rules. And he, we put it on and you put this massive hip and shoulder on the guy. And I'm like, that's a pretty fair hit. And he goes... Yeah, you're not actually allowed to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they you can't do that and go. They actually give you a rule book, right? Yeah. The AFL give you a rule book when you get selected to play international rules. Yeah. And like, I didn't read it. Yeah. You know, I was like, say, I just, did you know the rules? No, no idea. <laughs> so when I put that hit on, like in footy, that's it. Oh, straight yeah. down the middle was, yeah. was clean as. I was like, that's a good hit. So when the umpire McBurney, I think it was Steve <laughs> McBurney, pulls out the whistle. Pulls out the yellow card. Like, you can sort of see me going, like, what? <laughs> but he said, you're not allowed to bump in your national rules. I went, fuck, I should have read the rule book. Um, but, yeah, no, that was, that was retribution from, from 2006 when I went over to Ireland yeah. and we played uh, at Croke Park and one of the Irish guys, Graham Gerrity, was, like, there in force. I'd been down to pick up the ball. He came running past. He kicked me that hard in the, in the hip that he, mm. he, he fractured my pelvis. Oh, oh, wow. Iliac crest Jeez. crack. And I missed, like, six weeks of pre-season because I literally had a broken hip and um, I was ropeable. It was a, it was a dirty shot yeah, and right. I was injured and um, I was hobbling around, you know, mm. and I was like, if I ever get picked for Australia again and play yeah. Ireland, <laughs> someone's going to cop it. <laughs> and unfortunately, it was that bike. You know, what, what's it like getting into, obviously, um, you got the best players around you what's it like getting into that kind of group is it are you guys all like friends and get along like is there a lot of um team building stuff yeah yeah like i was i think oh six i was like 23 ish so i'd, I'd played three or four years you know the the, the players because you've played against them yeah but it was the first time i'd ever been in an environment where you get to be up close and personal room with fev yeah. you do recovery with michael voss mm. dustin fletcher like legends of the game um barry hall ryan o'keefe like and the, probably the one thing I took out of it was, um, I, I know it's a, it's international rules, so you're meant to have a bit of fun and have a few drinks and enjoy yourself. But um, I worked out that I actually trained and prepared and was as professional, if not more, than a few of these guys. So yeah, just great. it just instilled a bit of confidence in me that I'm, you know, I'm yeah. I'm working hard. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm not at their level by any means yet, but. It's not out of reach, yeah. you know what I mean. If you if you keep yeah, believing in yourself and keep training hard and everything, and um, I reckon there's no surprise that on the back of that 06 Irish trip, mm -hmm. I came, came out and was all Australian 07. Like I reckon yeah. that played a a bit of a role. Yeah, yeah I reckon they need to bring it back. I used to love watching yeah, the games. Well. It was great because I love Gaelic that. footy to see like the Irish boys come out or yeah you go over there. I, I think thought it was great. I, yeah, it stopped I mean, COVID was that why? Oh, it I, it, I think it just stopped because there was. Is a lack of interest from players a little bit because like now the demands on on players are so high yeah. that when the off season comes around, a lot yeah. of the players just want to shoot off for a month, yeah. go with their girlfriends overseas, switch their brain. I still train and prepare, but on their terms. Yeah. And when you commit to an Irish tour, it's it really is twenty odd days. Mm. Uh, you know, you're on buses, on planes, team yeah, meetings, yeah. training, playing. And while it's a great experience, like, 
you can, yeah, you, no you, break there. there's no break. Yeah. You, you, you come back and two weeks later you start your pre-season. Yeah. You can get a bit worn out. That's yeah, it's fair you enough. You also run the risk of, like you said, you got injured. So yeah. A lot of, that's probably... Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the best players that you want, when, when you're picking Australian side, you want at least a majority of them worthy yeah. of playing. And when you're asking the best players, you know, most of the All-Australian team, and they knock it back or they're getting their surgeries done or yeah. they can't be bothered, it just loses that that appeal a little bit yeah, to the yeah. point where they go, oh, there's no point in yeah. running yeah. the series, you know? Yeah. I'd love to see that come back and things like the All-Star game, like Victoria versus Dream Team, like because I know AFL keep trying to figure out what they do with the preseason. They tried AFLX, didn't really work. No, that was, that was, so that was a disaster. <laughs> Yeah, never, never again, AFLX. <laughs> I remember watching that thinking, what am I, like, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. It's like Big Bash, for, yeah. literally for AFL. Yeah, you've got to keep evolving. Like, I don't, I don't begrudge them for trying something. No, no, 100%. You know, but, 100%. like, it, it didn't work, it and didn't so you work. just scrap it, and you come up with another concept. And I'm a, I'm a, a massive lover of State of Origin. You know, like, yeah. I watch the NRL State of Origin every year, the passion. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play in that 08. Vic versus All Stars game, and again, like brilliant, but it was it was circle work for the first three quarters. There was no one defending, yeah. So it wasn't, it didn't feel like a real game. Yeah, if there was a hard ball there to you sort of, <laughs> you know, like you let someone come through because again, just in the back of your mind, you're like, we've got bigger fish to fry here. We yeah. want to play finals footy and win a premiership. <coughs> I don't want to be dislocating a shoulder or getting injured in a, in a you know in a game like that. Fair enough. Exactly right. Well, another interesting experience you got to do. Can you please explain to us what the fuck is Kabaddi? It's a, it's a great question. <laughs> it's exactly what I said when I got asked if I play it. Um, great story. The, uh, the 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 guy that was organising the trip was a guy called Bruce Cater, who mani- who used to manage Matty Delavadova and Andrew Bogart, and he's a yeah. player manager. And he cold called me out of the blue one day and said, Campbell, you don't know me. My name's Bruce. I've got an idea that I'd love to put to you. And he basically said, do you want to come over um, to India and, and play for Australia in Kabaddi? And I said, exactly that. What the fuck is Kabaddi? <laughs> and he sent me some vision and explained it a little bit. It's like British Bulldogs, seven aside, and one raider goes across to the other side of the court and you, you have to chant the words Kabaddi for the 30-second raid. And you've got to tag <laughs> these people and get back to your side without getting maimed, really. Like, yeah. There's no rules after that. They can pull your hair, oh, chicken wow. wing, Jesus. grab your leg. Um, and if you can get back, you get a point and you're out. So then it's seven yeah, versus right. six. Okay. Hard game to describe, right? Um, and then they raid. You know, and your yeah. job is to try and avoid them. Or if they tag you, bang, <laughs> tackle them. And I loved it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah well. But it was a bit weird. And, and um, I knocked it back. You know, I said, uh, no, nah, nah, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm too busy got a kid and whatnot, um, and then he ran me back two days later and he said, Campbell, I know you said no, but how would you like to be the captain of the Australian Kabaddi team? <laughs> and sort of the chest comes yeah. out. You know, I've always wanted to be the captain of my country. I said, mate, I'm in. You know, I'm in. Um, I suppose that I've voted in by my peers. And he said, oh, not exactly. <laughs> I said, has it been ratified by the Australian Kabaddi Commission? He said, no, no, it hasn't. I said, well, how come you've made me captain? He said, well, you're the first person that's committed to the trip because you helped me put a team together. So um, that's the only reason I, I was named captain. But uh, we got a team together, went over there, played in India, was televised on Star Sports. Opening night, we played India. 
um, linked arms, sang the national anthem. Really proud moment. I just remember standing there looking across at the Indian team and thinking, got no fucking idea what this game is. <laughs> uh, and we got pumped. And like I think it was like 180 million people watched oh, that shit. opening game because <laughs> it's the second biggest sport over there behind cricket. Oh, wow. You know how fanatical they are about yeah. their cricket. Yeah. They love Kabaddi. And um, that was a great experience. And I thought when we came back from that, we'd be better for the run. You know, the next World Cup in three years' time, we'll, we'll know the rules. We'll be able to put a better team together, be able to train, like really have a, have a crack. And that that World Cup came and went, and we never got invited back. Oh, right. <laughs> so they've kicked Australia out of the Kabaddi <laughs> Champ World Cup forever. So I'm still the captain of this game, Kabaddi Champ, and I think I will be forever. Oh, well, fuck, I reckon we get an <laughs> AFLX Kabaddi we'll get, comp going. We'll, we'll, let's, let's do it. Let's we'll start training them up and send them on back so over. Good. So good. All right, mate, let's uh, chat punting. Okay. Like you said, it's the old stomping ground for a reason. So... You've owned a few good horses, one of which is synonymous with the Magic Millions weekend. So can you talk us through that whole experience of getting not only a horse, but a real good horse in that sweet idea? Yeah, like it's pure luck from my perspective. I'd never real, I'd loved horse racing. My old man owned horses. When I got to Hawthorne, Croft introduced me to Johnny O'Neill and he owned some horses, Fenifider and a few. So you, you, you get caught up in that a little bit, but it wasn't actually till I moved up here to join the Suns that I ever really even knew or had a good understanding of what the Magic Millions were in terms yep. of the sales yep. and just how big the race day was, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, Jerry Harvey's done an unbelievable job as far as I'm concerned in the last 15 years building it up to what it is today because it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and I met Gay Waterhouse. I met, met, met David and Luke Henderson who had the brown colours um, and they still raced some horses. They won... The, the Caulfield Cup, uh, Desperado, and like you'd remember in that era, the brown Gay Waterhouse colours were winning everything. Yeah. They were big Suns supporters. They knew I liked racing. They said, oh, next time, you know, the Magic Moons come around, we'll introduce you to Gay. We'll go look at a few horses. I'd never done that before. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've got your book. I've got no fucking idea what yeah, I'm looking that's, that's for. That's what we're doing at the moment. You know, like, you pretend the... you know the pedigree. And, yeah, oh, yeah, this uh, one looks you, good. You get them to walk one out and they say something about, oh, your strong hind quarters. Oh, and man, that's literally Big ass. Yeah, yeah that's that's good. <laughs> so, but, but that's that's the learnings, yeah. right? <laughs> and um, and so I did that and, um, you know, they uh, they said, oh, we've we've – earmarked a couple of horses for later in the week, some fillies and da-da-da. And then it ended up, um, we, we bought a lot on Saturday night. So after the races, yeah. everyone goes across there yeah. and you know, I'd had a few drinks and um, someone's, loose, yeah, it? it's really fun. Yeah. And someone says, oh, that, that, that filly that, you know, we looked at a couple of days ago is coming up. And <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that one, yeah, so it's for lighter schnitzel. And um, you just start bidding for it, you know. Yeah. Uh, we won the bid, paid 240000 for us. It was an expensive filly back then, especially Schnitzel hadn't done anything back yeah. then. So it was it was not speculative because they had a good opinion of the horse, but you don't know what you're going to get as a yearling. Yeah. Called the horse sweet idea. She came out, won her first ever start at, uh, at Ranwick. I was there that day in a, in a maiden, broke the track record, and went, oh, okay, like, maybe she's got a bit of ability. Ran second. Went to the, I think it's the McLaughlin. Uh, BJ McLaughlin. Yeah, up, yep. in, uh, up in Doombin. Ran a, like a really good second because she did a fair bit of work early. And Gay sort of rang and said, oh, you know, she's qualified for the, the two-year-old Magic Millions. We think we can win it. 
and um, jumped and led, like led the whole way, gave a kick on the turn, like looked home. Mm. And this horse from the rear of the field, real surreal. I don't reckon that horse ever went on and won another race. Weave through, huge. Yeah, right. Collars are on the line. We run second and like shattered. Would have been a really big, big yeah. result. <laughs> um, and then she becomes a three-year-old, keeps winning, yeah. like wins a couple of group twos. And all of a sudden, Gay rings again and says, we're going to aim her at the three-year-old Magic Millions and a bit of redemption for last year. Um so I tell all the Suns boys, like the whole team, mm. Kenny Hinckley, Dean Solomon, the coaches, Matty Primus, they all love a bet. We've backed this thing at like big price, you know, <laughs> months out yeah, to win right. the three-year-old Magic Moon. She jumps at 480 second elect, exactly the same as a two-year-old, jumps, goes to the front, yeah. kicks, and this time I kept looking for something to something. be running on. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. Bang, James McDonald wrote it. He was a youngster back then. And, uh, and we win the Magic Millions as a three-year-old and went off like it was one of the great. <laughs> it's like right up there with winning the flag. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, that'd be pretty cool. And that, that was a big night as well. Yeah, spent the night in the clink, which was great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a big, big night, celebrated sales, out for dinner in Broadie, went to an East nightclub, got a couple of booths and, uh, and finished up at the, um, at the uh, Surface Paradise Jailhouse. It's just got too rowdy. Just a nice little finish to the night. Perfect. Yeah. It was well, so what you isn't it? <laughs> Nothing untoward. But, sounds, uh, sounds like a good night. Oh, you had the money to cover your bail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, got bail money, which is good. <laughs> oh, well, so you reckon it's up there, winning a big race and winning a flag? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the feeling of adulation, yeah. when when the horse crosses the line and when the siren goes, same thing. The, the only difference, I would say, is like when you're a footballer, you you personally feel like you earned it because you trained, so you fun. played, yeah. you did everything, blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when when you're a horse owner, like the feeling's the same, but like I don't train the horse, I mm. didn't ride the horse, yeah. I don't do track work or like feed it or anything, I just pay the bills. Yeah. So you, you love it and that feeling's amazing, but you just probably don't have that feeling of, of ownership of, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So did that love that started to gain over the years? Did that drive you to get into racing media or did um, it just fall in your lap sort no, of thing? Well, it was, it was just a hobby for me. I just loved owning horses with friends and like, and then that happened. And then she went on and won a group one, won the Galaxy on Slipper Day. And then, you know, I bought another one with Gay, which wasn't as successful, but uh, My True Love, group two and group three placed. So that was pretty good. And you, you just keep buying horses and next minute, a few opportunities sort of opened up when I finished footy with racing.com and with, um, you know, I did some work with Matty Tripp at um, Bet Easy. Yep. It yep. became Crown Bet that then merged with Sports Bet. And all of a sudden, because you owned a Group 1 winner, people sort of started to want to go into horses with you and started mm. to want to you know, want tips and yeah. respect your opinion a bit more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not that I'd done anything, <laughs> but yeah, it became. Went from hobby to becoming part-time work to now, like I'm pretty much 90% racing. Tip for a living. Tipping, work for Labrokes. Um, like all consuming was at the Devonport Cup on Wednesday. I'm here today. Um, like you travel, I'm going to Caraca Magic Moons with Bossy and Damien okay. Oliver. Like, and all of a sudden you're like, what a great job. Like I'm literally traveling around Australia. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and going to country race meets, big race meets, you're tipping winners, you're 
Yeah. It's social. Like it's mm. just everything yeah. that a person like me would want. Yeah. Um, get out and about, meet people, and and that's that's what I love about the racing industry. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um. So, the racing industry keeps banging on about getting young people involved. Yep. Since you'd probably be one of the biggest advocates for getting down to the races, what do you think they actually need to do to get the young people to the races? Oh, I think they're on the right path in terms of like you've got to balance in any sport tradition, keep tradition, but innovation and doing things to encourage the next generation to come through. And like um, we spoke about the big bash, you know, just before that—that that is a classic example, you know, yeah. because. Because youngsters these days, like they, they don't want to watch 30 minutes on TV. They want to watch five minutes on their yeah, iPhone, yeah. right? It's the same with sport. They they don't want to sit there and watch a 50-over test uh, one day out, right? Yeah. They want over and done with entertainment, yeah. um, music, um, fireworks, right? And um, cricket did that. A few other sports have done that. And, and, and racing, I think, it just got stuck in the stone age of – yeah. The committees, uh, quite often el- the older, older generation yeah. that have been doing it for 40 years and love it, but sometimes they like to, to do things their way because mm. that's always been the way. And uh, Peter Volandis, I think, is the best sports administrator in the country. What he's done in Sydney for Sydney racing and Victorian oh, people will hate me saying it, but um, the Everest, you know, some of the, the Golden Eagle, like these races, and they've They've got bands and DJs yeah. that come on. So you don't just mm. want to make it a race day where you have to love horses and punting to yep. want to go. Yeah. Take some friends that aren't interested in horses, yeah. but they know that there's going to be some music on or there's going to be yeah. – they might be in a fashion or whatever it is, right? Yeah. I think it's like real similar to like live golf as well. Like that's 100%. The perfect yep, spot and, on. And a lot of people, again, will hate hearing that because they're all old-fashioned and love the PGA. But um, I went to a live golf out in London um, this uh, last year. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I don't reckon I could watch normal golf PGA. Like I could, I could watch it on the TV. But um, the sport awesome. needed a shake up, didn't it? It was, yeah, it was so great. fucking boring. It was great. Hundred <laughs> percent. And now you got drinking out of shoes, and no, it's, um, it's awesome. They flew Music. Fisher out to do Live Adelaide, yeah, and yeah. like everyone that's gone to live has left with an amazing experience, you know. No. And then they tell their friends, 100%. and then they go back the next year. So. I think racing is starting to get that a bit. Like yeah. every time I go to the races now, it's more about the the experience yeah. and not just horses and wagering. Because yeah. I've seen that a bit in Melbourne, correct me if I'm wrong, they're starting to do quite a lot of concerts post-races because yep. Sydney will do them in carnivals. Yeah. But like I'm saying, like even on just some off days, like they'll still put a big concert yep. on afterwards to try and get people down there. And, and another one as well, and... Um, the MRC did a great job with this, uh, is activities for kids, you know, because sometimes uh, I'm a I'm a father and you you want to go to the races, but, like, sometimes it's too hard to take the kids, whereas if, if you know you can go with them, yeah. pony rides, face painting, yeah, uh, yeah. I think they call it the Giddy uh, GG Club or whatever, they join, and they they yeah. can do their thing. Yeah. You can have a beer and socialise and do your thing and... Um, so, yeah, I think all those sort of things are really important to get new people to the races. And then once they get them there, like, they'll come back. Yeah. yeah. They'll have a bet. Yeah, that's it. You know, so, yeah, Magic Means is, is great like that as well because they sell not just the race day and, and the sales, but come up for a holiday. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's beach. Good. No, we're definitely enjoying it. Yeah, oh, it's the best, yeah, we're best, looking best week to of the year. This, like, I, I usually come up here Monday and leave Sunday, have a week. It's that's, like that's what we're doing the greatest there. thing of all it's time. Been good. It's been pretty good so far. But, and, I had I'm a big matured. one last night at the oh, cast. Oh, did you? <laughs> I've matured now. I've hit 40. You know, <laughs> been doing this for a decade, but you bikes are right in the sweet yeah, spot. Oh, uh, good. Well, to finish up, we'll hit you with a few um, quick fire questions. Yes. So, um, what would you say best punting venue is? Ranwick. Ranwick? Yep, absolutely love it. Yeah. Worst punting venue? Oh, worst. Jeez, uh, I've never I've never had a lot of luck at Mornington. It's not, nothing to do with the actual – it's picturesque, it's beautiful. Yeah. But you just got to back Mornington trained horses, and for whatever reason, I can't get near them. So yeah. no knock on the course or the club, but just my own bad luck or bad judgment. Yeah. Is Ranwick the best viewing yeah, I think so. Like you, their new, their new um, facilities yeah. there. You know, you can go up to the stables, and I reckon the, the mounting yard on the other side is is like world class. Yeah. Um, I just really enjoy getting to Sydney and, and going to Ramwick, Rose Hill. No, Warwick Farm definitely not. Yeah. But like, I would only go to Ramwick. Or if I had a horse run in a group one at the other places, but yeah. yeah. Fair enough. And just literally some random questions. What's your favourite beer? I don't actually drink beer. Don't drink No, beer. I drink apple cider. apple cider. Yes, I'm a big Summersby, cider man. Summersby oh, apple I love cider. Um, Very glad I'm, to hear that. I'm, I'm big now on those white claws, you know, the oh, yeah, vodka yeah. lime soda white yeah, claws yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, if, I, if, if I had to choose a beer, it'd be like one stone and wood. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. Then I'm, I'm I'm moving off on on the yeah, spirits, just on the the apple ciders and the bodies yeah. or the Malibu pineapples. I've heard that. I've heard the rumours about the Malibu yeah, pineapples. Yeah, they're, they're elite, <laughs> but sometimes it's hard to find venues that stock Malibu. Oh, oh yeah. I love oh. Malibu. My dad always, when he goes up to the bar and I ask for a Malibu, he just looks at me like, "Yeah, what the fuck you doing? Yeah, but oh, no, it's nice. That's no, good. It's good drink. Um, what's your go-to pub pub meal? Uh, Palmer. Yeah, yeah, yep. Palmer, Pum. Okay, we're from Sydney. <laughs> we call it the Palmer in Melbourne, Palmer and Chips, um, or a, or a, a, the pork, the barbecue pork spare ribs. If, if oh, they wow. got them, yeah, they're always good. Yeah, nice. And then we always leave um, our guests with one question. So, what's next for you? What's next for you? Any big plans for twenty twenty four? I think this year I'm just going to be pretty cruisy. Like last year was a huge year for me. I turned forty. Um, I went to Royal Ramwick in the middle of the year. I had a crack at climbing Mount Aconcagua in Argentina. Just got oh, back please. from that. Um, throw in, you know, a wedding in Mexico. Best mates fortieth in Bali. Like I had a, I had a big year. Um, I think this year just a bit of consolidation, you know, just relax. I don't have any big plans, um, but I'd like to keep backing some winners. Yeah, nice. You got any futures bets on? I'm a shocking futures punter. <laughs> no, I, I really like Spy Wire in the in the two year old. Yep. Um, it's just drawn a shocking gate, but um, I, I know the owners obviously, and I reckon you know it's it should be undefeated. It ran serious time here on Saturday, and I mean two year old races are funny, and the barrier can often get you beat. It's a strong, it's a strong two-year-old race this year, yeah, um, but no futures. Nah. No, okay, I'm the same. I like futures. I've only landed one big futures bet, and that was Osmosis in the Coolmore. Good. Yeah. Well. What price? I got it. Um, well, to be fair, I got it at eight, thinking that that was going to be much shorter. And then when it blew right back yeah. out, got on it again because I just 
tipped it for months out, knew it was going there. I was like, nah, it's going to win. When it started to drift, I got a little worried, but then big result. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a futures here two years ago and it, it involved, so it was um, cool and gather to win the two-year-old. Yep. Yeah. Mimi Legato, the place in the three-year-old, which ran a really nice second and like paid four forty or something, oh, nice. a big price, into the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. And it was the year that it was in LA, so two years ago. And so... I ticked off Cool and Gatter and Mimi Legarde, mm -hmm. Legarde, whatever you call it, and all I needed was Kansas City to make it. Yeah, I was going. It was to win a fortune. Could have laid off. Had the, a great free trip. Yep. And they were up nineteen. They were up like twenty nil at half time against the Bengals. Yeah. Mate, I had one foot on the plane, <laughs> and the Bengals came back and fucking won in OT. Yeah. Mate, <laughs> ropeable. At the sickest beat of all time. Oh, up there. I was. I couldn't tell you how angry I was. Uh, I still went, you know, but yeah. like I didn't have my my, my futures bet. I couldn't yeah. lay off, you know. So um, that's the last time I had a futures. I'm, it's always that last leg, especially when you're up, you know, yeah. that much. <laughs> a good side too. It's not like it was. They were uh, underdog, you know. They mm. Patty Mahomes for cross, and then they come out. And win the next yeah. year, just to really rub it in. That's it. Oh, well, any more questions, mate? No, we'll, we'll finish it up. Thank you very much for coming on, mate. Good stuff, really boys. No, Good thanks for having me. No worries. All the best. Tune in. All righty, guys. That's another edition of Sideline Stories done and dusted. If you liked the episode, make sure to give it a five-star rating wherever you're listening, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more five-star ratings we get, the more we get recommended to new viewers and we can continue to grow, get bigger and better guests on and continue to bring this content to you. Another shout-out to our friends over at Stridal for making it all happen. Thank you to them. Make sure to go to strider.com and get shopping on their marketplace for the horse of your dreams now. And again, thank you to Ken Brown for fitting us in his very tight schedule. But above all else, punters, we hope you liked it and we'll see you in the next one.